0: Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Today I'll be reading from Psalm 145, verses 17 through 21. Brothers and sisters, hear the very Word of God. The Lord is righteous in all His ways, and holy in all His works. The Lord is nigh unto them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desires of them that fear Him. He also will hear their cry, and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love Him, but all the wicked will He destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we ask today that you would bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word. We pray that you would take this word and mix it with the faith that you have given to us. And that you would use this to conform us more and more into the image of your dear Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There are two great spirits at work against the Lord and his people. Some might argue that it's one and the same spirit, which I would not necessarily disagree with. We even find these spirits in the church. The first one I think you've heard me say before And that spirit is expressed like this, you're not the boss of me. The second one is like unto it, only it displays itself differently. And it's expressed like this, I can do it by myself. Anybody here have toddlers? Toddlers. I think we should call this toddlerism. But these spirits aren't just at work in our day. These are the very things that tripped up Adam and Eve that caused them to fall. They would not have the Lord rule over them. And they wanted to do it themselves. And as we think about these, these two phrases, you're not the boss of me and I can do it by myself. It makes me think of a verse that I was supposed to ask you to read at the beginning of the liturgy, but I forgot. And that's out of, out of John, John 15. I have come come to believe that this may be the least believed verse in all of Scripture. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. For without me, you, and it's you plural, you can do nothing. So a quick review. What is it that you can do without the Lord? Amen. We know it, don't we? The question is, do we believe it? do we stand and say, you're not the boss of me? Whether to the Lord or someone else. And this one is kind of what trips up the high-performance Christian, if there is such a thing. I can do it by myself. I will pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I I will muster up the faith to believe. For those of us who have tried that, It doesn't work so well, does it? It usually causes the problems to grow worse. Amen? Amen. So as we look at this psalm today, let's keep, keep these two spirits in mind. Let's keep this idea in our mind that without the Lord we can do nothing. Everybody holding on to those? And while you're trying to hold on to those... I'm going to give you a rough outline of how I see the normal pattern in Psalms. Now, they show up in different orders, but it's the same pattern that repeats over and over and over again. And we see it in this particular Psalm, Psalm 145. And that is a general starting call to praise the Lord. And then next we see that um, the praise is because the Lord has faithfully Delivered us. And that is often recounted at length. And then the psalmist finds himself in a time of trouble and he cries out to the Lord because he knows that the Lord is near and he knows that the Lord can hear him. And then that leads the psalmist um, to discover that the Lord is faithfully delivering him and preserving him even while he is crying out in his time of trouble. This is that concept of hesed, and I, can, I don't think I can get through a, a sermon these days without mentioning hesed, which we'll talk about again later. That is the Lord's mercy endures forever. That's the concept of hesedness, his loving kindness, and we'll get into all that later. Um, And then the psalm ends with a call to praise the Lord because he has delivered us and is delivering us, right? That's the pattern. Praise the Lord. He has delivered us. Oh no, we're in trouble. Cry out to the Lord. Hey, look, he's already delivering us. And then we praise the Lord again. So I'm going to go through the beginning of this psalm because I think the context is important. I'm going to go quickly, just reading through it. I'll make a couple comments, and then we'll get to our passage at at hand. So, uh, 145 from the top, Um, even the title um, uses this psalm of praise. This is a uh, a song of praise. That's what the word praise there means, and it will will show up later again. Verse 1 says, I will extol thee, O God, I will extol thee, my God, O King, And I will bless thy name forever and ever. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always struggled a little bit with this idea of how do I bless the Lord? Because, you know, I think of the patriarch putting his hands on the head and blessing his offspring, right? But when you look at the root of this word, of the Hebrew word for bless here, it's really to, to take a knee, to bow the knee. This is, this is in contrast to the you're not the boss of me, right? This is acknowledging that the Lord is Lord and sovereign over my life. And that, that word bless continues through, um, to be the same word through this entire psalm. Verse 2, every day I will bless thee and I will praise thy name forever and ever. And the word praise here means to shine or for us probably it means more like to shout, right? So when we praise the Lord, this is not a quiet activity. This is, this is a shouting to the Lord. Without getting too all charismatic here, it's what the word means, that we shout to the Lord. Verse 3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, shouting again. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise, this one's a really interesting one, one generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. Now the word praise here means to calm or to still, like be still by the still waters, right? So we are called to recount the Lord's acts to the generations that come to calm them and to, to still them. To let them know that this is is the way the Lord works. Have confidence. Don't sweat it, right? I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts. And I will declare thy greatness. This is the psalmist going back and recounting these instances in the past, in Israel's past, right? Right? They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing, and the word here for sing is shouting again, shouting for joy. I shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. And this is our word hesed. And this is one that the English translators really struggle with because we have no direct translation for this word or even the concept. It's it's very broad and deep in its meaning. Um, It's translated as kindness, loving kindness, mercy, goodness, faithfulness, steadfastness, covenantal faithfulness. And as you dig down into this word, you find that this loving kindness and this mercy and this faithfulness can only be extended to family members so when we talk about the mercy of the lord enduring forever this is that idea and it's only directed at his family that's us right is everybody awake okay the Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. Now this praise, this time, is the one we normally think of. This means praise and thanksgiving. All thy works shall offer praise and thanksgiving to thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts, and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endures throughout all generations. Whew. That'll preach. The Lord upholds all that fall and raises all up, all those who be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee and thou give them their meat in due season. Thou opens thine hand And satisfies the desire of every living thing. And these are promises that he extends to us, his people. And I want to talk about this word um, there in verse 16, satisfies. We read over it and he opens his hand and satisfies our desires. What does that mean? This word shows up in Isaiah 66 um, in verse 11. I have Isaiah 66. I'm going to start in verse 10. Rejoice ye Jerusalem and be glad with her. All ye that love her, rejoice for joy with her. All ye that mourn for her that ye may suck and be satisfied, there's our word, with the breast of her consolation, that ye may milk out and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then ye shall suck, ye shall be borne upon her sides, and be dandled upon her knees. This idea of being satisfied... For those of you who have had children, um, maybe those of you who haven't have seen this, picture a nursing baby, right? At its mama's breast for a long time. And that point where they have exhausted the supply of milk and their eyes kind of roll back in their head and their eyelids closed, that moment right there is what this is talking about. That moment of being completely satisfied being comforted, having your belly full, knowing that your mama, or in this case, your papa, is holding you and protecting you, and everything is right in the world. That's what this word means. He opens his hand and satisfies our desires. So as this psalm sets up, we have the Lord's Hesed recounted to us through this psalm thus far, right? That's a good description of what Hesed looks like. We are called to remember his mighty, merciful acts in the accounts of the Old Testament that have been preserved for us. We are called to remember his mighty acts in our own lives and in the lives of those we love. One of the primary reasons for these remembrances is to build us up and to strengthen us and to calm us and to encourage us to trust the Lord and to love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But we also find in His Word challenges to our faith. The Lord declares some very strong promises to His people in the rest of our passage, 17 through 21. And as we hear them, we need to ask ourselves, do I truly believe these promises? Do I have as much faith in these promises to me and to his people as I do in the the sun rising in the east tomorrow morning? Nobody doubts that, right? But what do we think about some of these promises? Verse 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all His ways and holy in all His works. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and holy in all His works. Now, all of us are dealing with some kind of struggle, right? Life is full of challenges and struggles. Do we believe That He is holy and righteous and benevolent and merciful in all these works towards us. Is our faith strong enough to believe Romans 8.28? That we know all things work together for them who love God and who are called according to His purpose. I was inspired this morning. I was... Moved to tears. I read Kelly's email this morning talking about how he was struggling. How his aches and pains were challenging him. And we pray that the Lord will heal him. will touch him and remedy this situation. But I think we know Kelly enough that if he doesn't, he will continue to trust him, and he will continue to place his faith in him. When he walked up here this morning, and the challenge that that was, and prayed from the heart, for that is the picture of a man full of faith. Amen? Now, verse 18 tells us that the Lord is nigh or near unto all them that call upon him to all that call upon him in truth. The Lord is near unto all them that call upon him. What does this mean? How is the Lord near to us? Is it because he's everywhere and can see everything? Well, that's part of it, right? But how else is he near to us? Think Emmanuel, right? God with us. Jesus came and became a man and walked among us and suffered the same temptations that that we suffer. And He died as a man. And He was risen again. He is near to us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our infirmities. As the creator of heaven and earth, Jesus created the very dirt that we are made out of. He knows us intimately he is holding all things together by the word of his power he is near to us in ways that we can't even imagine so when we call upon him he can't help but hear us right we dwell in him and his spirit dwells in us and jesus as our high priest hears us when we cry out to him There is no question. He is near and he can hear us. In verse 19, it says, He will fulfill the desires of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. He will hear their cry and will save them. Psalm 34 has some of this same language in it. Verse 6 says, The poor man cried, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. Verse 17, The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. This is an amazing promise. I mentioned earlier that this is a a secret weapon available to the Christian. And how much do we avail of this? How much do we cry out to the Lord knowing that he hears us? Knowing without a doubt that he will hear us and deliver us from whatever trouble we're in. In 1 John 5, we read this. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatsoever we ask... We know that we have the petitions that we desire of Him. This means that as we're crying out to Him, we know that He hears us, and we know that He has already answered our prayers. We are praying in faith in the deliverance. Matthew 7 says this, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek. And ye shall find, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks, it shall be opened. Now I know you're saying, Evans, really, whatever we ask will be given to us. We will be delivered out of all of our troubles. The Lord hears and has already answered all of our prayers, delivered us from all of our troubles, fulfilled all of our desires. It's a little simplistic, isn't it? Well, maybe, but that's what the Word says, right? Don't, don't take it up with me. Take it up with the Word. John 14 says, And whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do. Amen. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If, in case you missed it the first time, it repeats it. If you ask anything in my name, qualified by according to his will, I will do it. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. How's your faith holding up? I know where mine was as I was working through this passage. I'm like, this is is not me. This is not what my faith looks like. I confess to you. I'm trying. If I ask anything. And then we know that that passage over in Romans 8, right, says that when we get to that point where we don't even know what to pray, things are so bad that we don't even know what to pray, that the Spirit then comes alongside us and prays for us to Christ perfectly according to God's will. It's that simple, right? I didn't say it was easy. I said it's simple. Cry out to the Lord in times of trouble. But not just then either, right? That's what this shouting praise is about. In good times and bad times, right? Top of the mountain, Mount Zion, maybe Sunday morning, shadow of death, maybe earlier Sunday morning for a lot of us. Sunday mornings can be rough. We cry out to the Lord, period. And why do we do that? Do you remember the least believed verse that I presented earlier? Because without Him, we can do nothing. Verse 20 says, The Lord preserves all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. This is another challenge for us, right? Because we have news coming at us 24 7. The Lord preserves all that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. If you're paying attention to the news, the world has gone stark raving mad, right? It looks like the other side is winning, those who hate the Lord. And we are supposed to believe the Lord in these kind of times. And according to Psalm 145, we are actually supposed to, during a time just like this, we are supposed to double down and remind ourselves of the mighty acts of the Lord. And maybe more importantly, we are to recount those acts to our children and to our children's children so that they will be calm, so that they will know this is what it looks like as we are living in the victory of Jesus Christ. Even that phrase challenges people, right? We're living in the victory, it doesn't look like it. Well, not with man's eyes it doesn't, but with the eyes of faith, we see the victory. We see the Lord shaking down all those kingdoms, anyone that is opposed to Jesus Christ, right? The clown world is among us, and even they're beginning to think, this doesn't really look like it's going to work, right? So if you would, turn to me to 1 Corinthians 15. We believe that God's word is true, amen? So let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Let's start with verse 22. For as in Adam, all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they are Christ afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end: when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down. All rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. This chapter is really interesting. It starts at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the gospel. And then it moves into talking about the resurrection, right? And so it says that Jesus is the first resurrection, verse 23. And then at the resurrection, the one we tend to think of, all that are Christ, right? At his second coming is the resurrection, takes everybody to heaven, right? And it says, then comes the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom, even the Father, when he has put down all rule and all authority. And all power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. I have a question for you. Is Jesus Christ ruling and reigning right now? Yes. So what, is he, what business is he about right now? It looks like it says he's putting down all rule, all authority, and all power, and he will reign until he puts down his last enemy. And we know when that happens because it will be the resurrection. That will be the ultimate and final defeat of death. Are you with me? So does he really preserve the righteous? Does he really put down the wicked? It says here that he is putting down all authority. I've lost my place. Um, ah. He's put down all rule and all authority and all power. And in his reign, he will continue to do this until all his enemies are defeated. Now let's drop down here to verse 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, talking about the resurrection again, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, And this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Have you suffered the loss of loved ones who are believers? Death does not claim the victory there. Jesus claims the victory there. Death has no power. We see that He has given us the victory. By faith, Jesus wins the victory. By faith, we believe in the victory. And we know, according to God's Word, being true right here in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, unmovable, unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Hallelujah. All power is given to Him in heaven and earth. Right? Therefore, what do we do? We go and abound in the work of the Lord. That's our job. We believe, we have faith, the victory is secured. And we move onward and upward in spite of what it looks like around us. Amen? Amen. Right. In 1 John 5, we read this. Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For, um, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The beloved Apostle John tells us that we have victory over the world through our faith, by our faith, in our faith. We overcome the world. See, this victory is already secured, amen? This is one of those things that challenges our faith, right? As we live through day to day, Oh, the economy's terrible. Oh, there's war in the Middle East. Oh, there's crazy people running our country. Oh, oh. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Your labor is not in vain. And so how do we respond? Verse 21, remember the pattern? How do we respond? My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. How long does the Lord's mercy last? How long should we bless His holy name? This is pretty simple, right? For those who are thankful and resting in the Lord alone for everything, we are to praise the Lord and bless his name forever. There's no end to the mercy. There's no gap until the next mercy. It's continuous mercy from here to the end of eternity. That phrase doesn't even make sense. We are called to praise the Lord, to bless his name And we are called to do that in heaven, right? That's where this true worship takes place. Even as we gather here and worship, we are transported there to join the one true worship. When you gather in the morning or in the afternoon or at the dinner table, wherever you do family worship, and you are worshiping, you are worshiping there where the one true worship is taking place that eternal, ongoing worship. When you take that moment to pray over your food, you're joining in to that one true worship. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands. That's a lot. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as that are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor, glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and under the Lamb forever and ever. For the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lived forever and ever. Jesus tells us, without me, you can do nothing. He tells us, through him, all things are possible. That your faith can overcome the world. Your faith can overcome the world. My weak faith can overcome the world. That victory is secured. My labor is not in vain. Amen. So remember how this pattern works. We start by praising the Lord because the Lord has delivered us faithfully. We cry out to him because he is near and he hears. And as we're crying out to him, we know that the Lord is delivering us even as we are crying out to him. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. So God means all things for our good. That's what this whole point is. All things are for our good. If your knees are giving out, God means it for your good. If your finances are giving out, God means it for good. If there's trouble in the Middle East, God means it for good. Man might mean it for evil, but God means it for good. Do we believe Him? Do we trust Him? Do we cry out to Him, trusting that He is going to answer and deliver us? Some of the practical application here We're called in this psalm to teach our children of the Lord's mighty acts. But what I want to know is, do we live this out in front of them? Do they see us crying out to the Lord in these times of trouble or in the good times? Do do they see us crying out to the Lord? So another question that goes along with that, when your children are crying out, what are we teaching them? When our children are crying out, what are we teaching them? How do we respond? There are some schools of thought out there that would say, you let the child cry it out on his own. There's another school of thought that would say, you go and you pick up and you comfort the child. I know which one I think represents the scriptural pattern more to me. Now it says in our passage that they have to be crying out in truth, right? If your kid's being a brat and they're crying out, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about they're struggling with fears, they're struggling with temptations, they're struggling with good old fashioned sin. How do we respond to them? Are we angry? Are we wrathful? Are we upset with them? Are we embarrassed? Or do we go to them and comfort them? In their crying out, do we deliver them from their fears? Are we showing the love of the Father to our children when they're crying out? How do we do this as a congregation? This is one I don't quite have my mind wrapped around. I I see this as um, in the psalm. It's written from a personal perspective, but I know it must have application for us as God's people. How do we cry out together in times of trouble, trusting in the Lord's victory? How do we do that? We are a praying church, and I really appreciate that. I appreciate that people know that we're a praying church, and they ask us to pray for them. We are known as the praying household of God, and that's good. But what does it mean for us when there's external trouble or internal trouble? How do we cry out? And when we cry out, do we believe that the Lord is going to answer our prayer, has already answered our prayer? You think of all those places in the scripture, and I I pray about this often when we're gathered together corporately, that um, tells us that we are supposed to be unified. As a body. I tend to believe that when the scriptures remind us over and over of something, that means that we're bad at it. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Right? So when it says that we are supposed to be unified as a body, guess what? We're going to have to do stuff. Right? But without Jesus, we can do nothing. So we cry out to him in faith, knowing that he hears and knowing that he answers our prayer. This, I think, is the kingdom. This is the power and the glory and the victory that is available to us through prayer. Amen? Amen. All right. So let us by faith praise the Lord for delivering us and adopting us as his children. Let us be thankful for those times that the Lord chooses to exercise our faith In good times and bad times. Do we look at it that way? When the Lord gives us opportunity to exercise our faith? Are we happy about that? I mean, how do you feel about regular exercise, right? Most of us, we think it's drudgery. This is not the case. This is the Lord being gracious to us and allowing us to exercise our faith so that it gets stronger. And you know why he wants our faith to be stronger? There's more coming, right? There's more coming. And we want to be people of faith, and we want to trust Him for everything. And we need to continually praise the Lord for His steadfast loving kindness and His covenantal faithfulness, that ever-enduring mercy. How long does His mercy last? Forever, right? How long are we supposed to praise Him for that mercy? Forever. He has shown this to us time and time again. He loves us as his people. He is our good Father. And Jesus Christ, his Son, is our great high priest and is near and hears us when we cry. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word this morning. We are thankful that it encourages us that it strengthens us, that it builds us up individually and as a congregation. We are thankful that it challenges us, that it brings us those challenges in a way to increase our faith and to see clearly that you are the sovereign Lord, that you rule and reign over all, that you love your children, and that you bring everything into our life and you mean it for good. And Lord, we praise you for um, the blessings, we praise you for the trials, we praise you for the tribulations, and we praise you for uh, giving us a way out as we cry out to you in faith. And Lord, we confess that we believe, we ask that you will heal our unbelief, and that we can truly understand that without you, uh, we can do nothing. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.